Boy, I hope you really are paying attention to those words when we sing those. I know those words would have been specifically for several folks that are here as far as, you can look them up later on, that one's not in our songbook, but just the things that each one of us goes through, the different stories that are represented in this room, and I'm very aware of that just so you know. I am very aware of the different stories, the pains, or even the wonderful mountaintop experiences that some of you have been going through recently. I'm also very aware there are things that some of you don't tell anybody. You're just going through something right now and maybe there's not somebody you've shared it with or maybe one other person or just your family knows. This is what God does. He brings us together as part of his plan, that's the church, into this place. And very much so, we are here to worship our God, but there is a side effect that happens when God's children join together for worship and that is that we are encouraged. The beauty of the words right there in the beginning of that song, talking about the, uh, the depths that we go through in life, the valleys, talking about the wonderful times of life and how God can work all of those out for our good. I was back and forth on whether to say this or not, but I'm gonna go ahead and take this opportunity before I pray to give you, um, to give you what I think and I hope will be helpful. I would think of the question, would you like to hear better sermons every Sunday? Is that something that you think would interest you? Is that something that you think, it's not a trick question, don't freak out. Some of you aren't gonna shake your heads because it might be a, a put down to me if you shake your head yes. I, but I fully believe that one way that you can hear a better sermon every Sunday, there are several things that are going to go into the time when we gather around God's word. We work on that. Uh, we give some, some slides on the screen to help those of you who are visual learners. We give in-depth time to study. We do a lot of things to, to work this out. But I am completely convinced that there is something that can be done, and it gets done on a regular basis by many and it gets neglected sometimes. And that's something that you can do in coming to a time like this and preparing yourself. Now, I can't force you to do anything, but I do want to let you know um, that there are some things that can really take away from the time in God's word for you. So for example, if you were up till like three in the morning, you know, binge watching shows is very popular today. Some folks are off work on the weekends. If you were up watching TV or doing video games or something to way late, that makes my job a lot harder to keep your attention. I've got to stomp my feet every once in a while or clap my hands. You can be well rested. You know, something that I see today, even when people watch television, they're, they're playing video games at the same time. You can do two things at once. Have you seen that? Some of you have seen folks driving in their cars and playing video games at the same time, haven't you? Let me encourage you, do your best, if you want a great sermon, do your best to prepare yourself. That might even be, mean praying before you come in. God, what do you have for me? And things are going to call for your attention, things are gonna distract you. I already mentioned that, that many of you have things weighing on your shoulders that likely nobody else knows. Let me encourage you, though, that this time when we join together, if we are doing the best that we can on all sides, we're going to see Jesus Christ do something very, very sweet, and I pray that. I've already prayed for you this morning. When I prayed that very clearly there would be a teaching of the Holy Spirit to the ones that are here, and here's why I wanted to encourage this. <clears throat> Every once in a while, someone will come and say something to me that I don't believe. 
Someone will say something to this effect. It happens every once in a while. They'll say, wow, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. Somebody will say that. And I will sometimes say praise the Lord, sometimes say thank you, that's very kind. And it is not unusual that I will think to myself, I don't know what sermon they were listening to because that was not the best sermon I have ever preached. What could it be that makes different individuals from all kinds of different backgrounds listen to different sermons and have a different opinion on that? Can I suggest to you that it is what I mentioned earlier that I pray, the involvement of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has a different set of ears. You have a different heart that you're coming to this time to right now. You have a different background, different family. You have a different future ahead of you. All of those things come into play and can make something very, very different. I've had people say something, how great this was, this point that I made, and I'm thinking, I didn't even make that point. Because the Holy Spirit has something very, very sweet and special that he does in our hearts when we join together. I've already taken five minutes of my time without preaching, and so hopefully we won't go too long over today. But I do want to ask you to bow with me in prayer before we look into God's word. Heavenly Father, I do ask you again for a clear involvement during this time. As we are examining the history of the establishment of your church this wonderful institution that you have given, this wonderful local church family that you have given us right here in this place. And I would ask now that as we have worked and done as many things as we can to shut out distractions and to point towards Jesus Christ, that you would clearly be involved as well. We thank you that we can study and we would ask that you would allow us to be involved in our hearts and in our minds with our ears and distractions would be at a minimum and that your glory would be at a maximum as we study this. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're coming across a unique story in the book of Acts, in Acts 19 this morning. And it's interesting because multiple people who have studied this and written about it and preached about it have asked the same question. And so I'm gonna throw that question out to you right off the bat. Why does God put this account in here? As we look at this, and we're going to go through about 20 verses, many people, good, smart men and women, have asked, why does God allow this account to be in here? We're looking at a very unique society. We're looking at a group of individuals that lived in a specific time. And you can study this time 2,000 years ago. You can look at Roman law and the culture of that day, and all of those things are going to help you. But in order for you to connect it to your life, you're going to have to fast forward a couple thousand years from this and ask, what does it mean for me? And I want to point out something just as we get started, and that's the culture that we live in. You and I live in a different society than when this book was written. We live in a different society than people oftentimes on what we call the coastlines. So that California influence, California's that way, I guess, California influence, that New York influence, we live in a different society than those. You, with your specific background, live in a very specific society or a culture. And so how do you apply this? I love applying God's word. I love seeing what it means for us in our lives today. And there is a danger with an event like this because we can go to extremes. We can get people to the extreme where they're worked up into a frenzy as far as even... Um, you know, going to death for our faith and belief. 
We can also go to the other extreme of just counting on God's providence that he's in control of everything because we see a little of that in all of these. Now, when we look at our culture today, I want to suggest, you can, this is debatable, I guess, but I want to suggest that we live in a civilized society. You and I do live in a civilized society. There are some things that make that society more civil than others, but there are a few different things that we cannot deny that help build our society. One, of course, is our laws, our constitution, the Bill of Rights, the bylaws that we follow in this land. They are a big part of who we are. And even the laws that we have in our land, they teach. Are you familiar with that? The laws that we will pass in this land, they actually teach a generation what is right and what is wrong, whether we believe it's right or wrong or not. That's an interesting little rabbit trail we could go on. Something else besides the laws of the land that goes into making our society are some unwritten rules. We're all familiar that there are unwritten rules that we live with. They are part of our society. I want to break them down into just three quick categories to give us a jumping off place here and I think we'll see them right in our story today. The base category of these unwritten rules is just being polite. We understand that we live in a society where there is a positive peer pressure for you to be polite. If someone holds the door for you, you acknowledge that. You say thank you. You don't let the door slam in somebody's face. In traffic, if somebody lets you get in front of them in a congested area, you give a courtesy wave, right? Some people get bothered when they don't get the courtesy wave. That guy didn't wave at me. Can you believe that? I let him in and everything. Just this morning, someone gave me a wonderful illustration of being polite in traffic. They were at Tim Hortons. I won't tell you who it was. They were in line at Tim Hortons going through line. And as they were there, they had deemed where they were going to stop and wait. Tim Hortons always busy on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of calories being put on in these churches. I know it. Tim Hortons has a line there usually, and this person had determined where they were going to stop. And they stopped right here, and as they were waiting politely in line, they had enough room for a person to go and pull up, and a person pulled right in front of them. Right in front of them in line at Tim Hortons. This is the opposite of polite, right? This is rude. Having said all of that, the person did not respond in a carnal way, and that's all I'll say about that. They responded probably in a patient way and probably a good way as far as I know. And when that person got up to the line to get their things from the drive-thru, they found out that the person that cut in front of them had actually paid for their food, paid for their order. They recognized they were impolite. They paid for their stuff. You and I live in a civilized society. Being polite is at a base level. We're all expected to do that. And then if I can take it up a little bit more, and we're not going to talk at all about this today except for mentioning it quickly, there's the level of being politically correct. So we have politeness that's expected. Then there's the area of being politically correct. And of course, a lot of folks like to talk about that a lot. A lot of folks like to go against that and tell everybody they're against it. That's fine. And if I can take it up even another level, There is some unwritten rules in our society that are there and they're they're bigger than being polite. They're bigger than politically correct because these unwritten rules actually will affect your life. They might affect your joy and happiness. They might affect something that you feel is a right, not a law, but a right of yours. It might even affect your business, how much money you make. Now that gets people to sit up and pay attention right away. 
If you start doing something that you have every legal right to do, but someone else suffers for it, their pocketbook or their happiness in some way, then those are big things that we see. When we think about making a difference in this world, here's what you have to grapple with today. To what extreme do you go to to make a difference? What does God want you to do? Let me give you the takeaway from the sermon today. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a couple things that you can take away. First of all, I want to challenge us to change the small circles that you run in as you live for Jesus Christ. I worded that very specifically because we all have circles that we are in, whether it be a group that we meet with at a restaurant or at work or our families. We all have some small circles, and every one of us can have an impact for the good on those circles. The second thing is this. As different believers, Christians, practice a Christian life, I want to challenge us to change the society that you live in when with other believers you live for Jesus Christ. These are a couple different things that I think we'll see right from this today. As we are jumping into this, I thought it would be an appropriate time to do a little bit of review. I want to remind you of who the original receiver of this letter was. The book of Acts, which stands for Acts of the Apostles, was written by Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to a man named Theophilus. And he also wrote this book, the history book of the New Testament, to that same man, Theophilus. As I look at it, I see him trying to convince Theophilus that the way of Jesus Christ is the right way. I think Theophilus, who seems to be um, an educated man, possibly a Roman governor, I think that as he reads these things, Luke knew that he would have an understanding of stuff like Roman culture. Luke knew that he would have an understanding of the town of Ephesus and the goddess Artemis that was there. He would have an understanding of the riots that would take place and how, yes, maybe this is how you can get things done, but there's more than one way to get accomplished what someone who is very shrewd can get accomplished. And so as Luke writes this, he's writing to convince him of Jesus Christ, and I think that, um, I think that Theophilus would have been very well aware of, of a lot of these things. If you're not already there, turn to Acts 19, and I'm going to read verses, um, we're going to start in 23. I know we skipped 21 and 22. You go ahead and back up there and study those out for yourself. We see Paul wanting to go to Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, wanting to go to Achaia, which is where Corinth was. And then this is the very first time in verse 21 that we find the Apostle Paul has a desire to go to Rome. That's the first time we see that written here, and we'll see it repeated um, after this. But I want to start in verse 23 for our purposes today, and we'll walk through this. Starting in verse 23, going through through 26, the Bible says this, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Let's go ahead and stop right there. And we're just going to break this 
um, time in God's word down into a few different sections, and the first one is Demetrius. Demetrius is the instigator at this time. We find him calling a meeting together. And it's interesting, the, the, the verbiage that we see, it's always fun to find how the Bible was written, and it's never by accident. It says here, there was uh, no little disturbance, and he had brought no little business. Is that interesting to anybody? It's like me saying, I'm gonna have no little ice cream tonight before I go to bed, and this sermon's gonna go no few minutes. That's what that's kind of like, right? It's kind of a backwards but it catches our attention. Demetrius was a leader of the Silversmith Union, if I can call him that. He was a leader of this group. I personally think that he had a lot of influence. I think there were people that looked at Demetrius and they understood, don't miss this, this is gonna connect with some of us, they understood that Demetrius was very much a part of why maybe they had the nice home that they had because of the leadership that he took in this silversmith trade. Demetrius was able to maybe head off some things that could have been a threat. I personally do not think this is the first time there was a threat to their trade necessarily. I think they would call meetings together and I think they could accomplish at shutting down things that would hurt them. And Demetrius explains this, this preaching that Paul is doing, this is bad for business. This is not good for us at all. It's bad for all of us. And so he calls the meeting together and he raises the problem. And then the next things we're going to look at are um, a goddess and a city. So Artemis, that goddess, and Ephesus. And these were the things that were in danger. Look in verse 27. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, who, she whom all Asia and all the world worship. So Demetrius goes a little bit of God and country here, if I can use that expression. That's what he's saying. And this legend about Artemis, it's really, it's hard to exaggerate. I don't like exaggeration. And so you go and study this for yourself. But this goddess, Artemis, was extremely influential, not only in Ephesus, but as he says, across Asia. The legend goes that something fell from the sky, and we'll see that later on in our reading. But something fell from the sky. Maybe it was a meteorite. I don't know for sure. But something had fell. And so they deemed that it was a god or goddess in this situation. And that's why they built this incredible, huge shrine to the goddess Artemis. If you're wanting to know the size of this place, it was substantially bigger than a football field, which in that day made it huge. It might have been the biggest building in civilization of that day. 425 feet by 220 feet and 60 feet high. This was the shrine to the goddess Artemis. Maybe you've seen in some political settings like Washington, D.C., a building with all kind of columns around it. Has anybody seen those before? This had 127 columns that were surrounding it. But don't miss this. Of this incredible structure to this false god, of these columns that were around it, many of those columns were donated, were paid for by foreign governments, foreign dignitaries. So there is no doubt that people way far away were paying some kind of respect to this incredible, 
this incredible shrine, this goddess that was there. This was one of the seven wonders of the world, of the ancient world. That's what this place was. And just to add a little bit of fun to it, every year they would have a festival. They would get together every year and people would come from all around and they would have a festival. Now when you think of festival, don't think of like our carnival here in town. This was, it might be better to connect it to like Mardi Gras. It wasn't a place you wanted to take the kids, okay? It was something that was going on and every year they would celebrate. Some um, people believe that this riot that takes place takes place at that time in the spring of their, of their festival that they would celebrate. Okay, so that's Ephesus who had become rich, that city, and Artemis. Let's look next at the mob. The title of the message today is An Angry Mob. And we find here the mob begins. Look in verse 30, well, uh, verse 28 with me. When they heard this, that's the group that were gathered together, they were enraged and were crying out. And don't, don't miss this phrase, we're going to come back to it. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go into the crowd, the disciples would not let him and even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Now isn't that a little bit interesting? This mob, it's very intentional. So you got the leaders of the silversmith trade and other people. So if you've got a lot of good business going on, we understand the trickle effect, right? The restaurants around the silversmith trade, they benefit, right? And the other trades. So very possibly they knew something of their wealth was in danger, so they get this going, and the mob works themselves into a frenzy, and they go into the theater. Let me tell you just a little bit about this theater. I was trying to compare it to something that we have around here. Um, you can go to the area where this theater is, and they know how big it was. Um, as they join together, and remember, this is before sound systems, so they would design them a very specific way so folks could hear. This theater would hold about 24,000 people, and it got filled here very quickly. Most folks not knowing what's going on. They're just seeing this frenzy that's happening, this mob mentality. I can almost picture in my head some people yelling, fight, 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 and people will come to see a fight, won't they? And this mob mentality, and they go into this theater that's about 24,000. That is almost exactly what the Palace of Auburn Hills holds with the Detroit Pistons play. So that many people joining together, most of them not knowing why they are there. And if, and I use the word if here, if Demetrius had gone down this route before and had shut down other threats to his business, I can see him very much so thinking, oh, we're going to wipe out this message real quickly here. This will be going right away because we're having some good success, except for the fact that God is involved. Before we get to what God does and how he handles this, I want to cover this fellow. He barely made it into our talk, but it's in the Bible there in two verses, so we're going to talk about him. His name is Alexander. Look in verse 33. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. Don't miss that. The Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but 
when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now that's really the line, and I've gone through the book of Acts, I don't know how many times in the past two years. And that's one of the lines that's stuck in my head. Two hours shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Some people question whether this really happened or not. Skeptics of God's word will question it. Because could a crowd really shout something for two hours? Could they really cheer for something that they were behind for two full hours? And some of you who are sports fans understand very much so. You can shout for two hours. You can even be in a huge setting like that and be organized, right? Some of you remember that. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And then over here for two hours. You know, and the people, I think they were prepared for this some. People go to events today and they've got their big letter D and then their picture of a fence, D, fence. And they know exactly when to say it. So don't be fooled by this. For two hours, they scream out this phrase, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, they eventually run out of gas. That's what I think here. They eventually do. But we talked about Alexander. Alexander is not a believer as far as we know, but he was a Jew. And it seems very much so that he did not want the Jews in Ephesus to get mixed in with these Christ followers, these Christians because it would be very bad for them. But people who knew the Jews, they understood if they had their own little trinket of the shrine of Artemis, there were some Jews that had something as well. What did they have oftentimes written down that they would keep with them? They had the Ten Commandments, right? And as they had the Ten Commandments, anybody who read the Second Commandment, who made money in this town from these silversmiths, would be threatened because the Second Commandment is don't have any graven image. So the Jews are monotheist, one God, not polytheists. So as soon as they knew this was a Jew, they shouted him down for two hours. And verse 29 and 32 tells us that confusion dominated this group. And then let's, let's look at the last guy that God uses here. Also not a believer as far as we know, but he was successful in what he did. Look in verse 35. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have, been brought, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And so we look at how this town clerk handles this. And I'm going to give you some points. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. First of all, before I give you those, we need to remember that the Christians, and you can get into those tricky applications if you want right here, these Christians were not picketing the temple of Artemis. 
They were not writing letters saying you need to shut this down because it's a false god and look at all the graft and corruption that's involved here. That's not what they were doing. Instead, the Christians were living a life of faithfulness that reflected God and they didn't keep it to themselves. They went and told somebody else about the true God and they started living like that. And this grew and it grew and it grew. My mind, just at the end of this week, went right to Mark Chapter 4 and verse 30, where we have the story of this little tiny seed being planted. Remember that one? Mustard seed? Little tiny seed being planted. It's a picture of faith. And what happens to the smallest of all those seeds? It grows up into something huge. That's exactly what happens here. God is doing something. It's being planted in small ways and it grows into something huge that cannot be denied. The Christians in Ephesus did not go on the offensive towards the goddess Artemis. Instead, they were changed within, which resulted in them not spending their money on the shrines. Here's what this town clerk did. Some call him the mayor. No doubt he's a Greek official. And he successfully connects with the mob in these ways. First of all, he assures them of the divinity um, of Artemis. Nobody can question this. Artemis is definitely great. It's a great God. They were in danger here. Some of them were having some horrible feelings about what's going to happen to Artemis. And basically, if I can borrow the expression, he's saying we're going to make Artemis great again. You know, that's what he's getting at here. Don't worry about it. And then... He's, and then we see that fair play comes into it. The fair play of the opponents. They had done nothing punishable. Remember how I started those unwritten rules? They had not broken any laws. They had only done things that were within their rights. And he points that out. And then right after that, he says, not only have they not broken any laws, but all of you, you thousands and thousands of people, you are in danger of getting us judged, of getting the Romans to charge us with rioting, which was a big deal. This was a free city in a lot of ways, and they would lose a lot of that because the Romans did not like rioting. They would not put up with that. And he says, there's a legal option that you have. Bring your grievances to the court system. And I'm going to leave it right there. That's where we're going to stop with this story because clearly God is getting involved. As far as an application, I'm going to give you a couple things to take away with this. Before I give you those, I'm going to, some of the classes, some of the ABF groups talk about the sermon afterwards. Here's a little bit of fodder, all right? I'm not going to be in any of those classes so I can't get pulled in uh, for my opinion because different Christian groups in different societies are going to have different challenges. You need to know the society, that you, the society that you live in. You need to understand the challenges that you have, what rights you have. You need to also understand what your main goal is. If you're going to do something, what's the main reason that you're doing it? If you're going to write a letter to a congressman, if you're going to be very public in how you stand on something, I want to encourage you to ask the question first, what is the ultimate goal of why you're doing it? Some people like to suffer just for the sake of suffering. They can even tie some Bible verses to it, can't they? And I want to challenge you to ask that question, what is my goal? And is it the same goal that God would want me to have? So you apply that to your involvement in politics, your effort to change culture, and I will not be in any of those conversations in the classes that are going to follow this time here. But what can you do? Very quickly, what can you do? 
First of all, you can change your small circle. I love to make applications from God's word that apply to everybody, and this applies to everybody, because you all have a circle. You all have a connection, whether it be with your family um, in some way. You all can do things, and I have several things that are coming up here on the screen, and these are different ways that you can do it. And let me just say, in order to change your small circle, these ones on the screen here, which all have something in common, if anybody can figure out what they have in common, I'll buy you some candy. Okay, I've got candy in my office that I'll buy you. If you can figure out what those have in common, having an even temper, speaking kind words, being dependable, being generous, harmony in your personal life, having genuine gladness, caring for others. These all have something in common. And let me just say, I know this is a a high bar, but I believe this is a bar that God's word sets. And if you're not great in one of these or in a couple of these, you need to make up for it somewhere else, okay? So if you are impatient on a regular basis and you're trying to get that figured out but you can't, if, if you're going to impact your small circle, you need to figure that out or else really make up for it in some other way. So be extra generous or something like that, okay? These are ways you can change your small circle as God is working in you. Demonstrate these things and then work towards representing Jesus Christ. And then right on the heels of this, you can change your society. This is a big one. And some folks will tune it right out, right? Okay, I can change my world. Yeah, change my society. First of all, to do this, you have to practice these things that are above. And then you, as you change another person, you are making a disciple, and they start practicing this, and then the two of you go and make two more disciples, and then the four of you go and make four more disciples, and you start living in this way, that's what will change your society. That's what will change elections. That's what will change laws and the place where we live. This is how we do it. You don't jump in and try to be the loudest person, the squeaky wheel, necessarily. You need to, most of the time, the society that we live in is like that, Because the people in that society want it like that. That's the case most of the time. And so if you want to change society, you want to change your culture, be involved in changing one person and then having you two change two more and change your, this is exactly what happened in Ephesus. They were changed, they were changed, they were changed. There was no specific blasphemy against Artemis. They simply said, you know, I'm not gonna buy a silver idol that you made anymore. Why not? Well, because, it's, it, because the second commandment says don't do it. And I have a different God now. And it made such an impact. And so for you and for me, followers of Jesus Christ, what can we do? Sorry, I fast forwarded there. Some of you guys ready for the last song? The lesson from Acts 18 is this. Followers of Jesus Christ do not participate in things that are going to hinder your personal growth You don't participate in things that are gonna hinder you from bringing someone else to Jesus Christ, from making a disciple. And if enough people were to be changed into following like Jesus Christ and they were to stop doing things that are, and listen to this, stop doing things that are clearly contrasting the ways of God, that's when it will change. And so what can you do? Live a life that is holy as much as possible and be a part of, of being a disciple maker. This is how we can change our little world and how we together can change the society that we are in. Let's pray. God, I I, I have such a appreciation for individuals who will specialize 
in some kind of a Christian cause, specializing in right for life or specializing in um, a specific, specific kind of legislation. I'm thankful for folks that are gifted in that way and have a heart for that. I would not want that to go away. But Heavenly Father, there is no doubt <clears throat> that as I go through my life and ask this question, what do you want me to do? What goals am I to have? I would ask that individuals that are around me would know very much so that I'm genuine. Heavenly Father, that people who know me and they kind of see that I'm in this Christian circle over here, they would scratch their heads because maybe they might have a very specific opinion of people in Christian circles. And if they would think that all those people are maybe bigots or all those people are possibly um, just um, ones that want to take away other people's rights and then they get to know me and they see something that's very sweet and genuine, that there will be a war going on as we represent Jesus Christ and as we live in a very unique society. God, give us wisdom. Help us to be as wise as serpents and yet as harmless as doves. And I would pray that each one here would see a change in their circle because of how they live their life, the message that they give. And I would pray that many here would be able to see a change that comes in their society because they joined together with other believers and it made a difference. We thank you that you did this a couple thousand years ago. We thank you that you used people who were not followers of Jesus Christ to calm down a mob when they were wanting to lynch some people. And we thank you that right now you are fighting for us, your wonderful, beautiful hand working. We praise you for that. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through just, just a short time on the piano. And I wanna give you a chance to pray. I have no idea what you carried into this place today, what's going on in your heart, maybe a part of that message that might have spoken to you. I wanna give you a chance to talk to God. If you've never made that decision to make Jesus Christ the king of your life and follow him, I'd, enc I'd encourage you, ask for forgiveness today. Ask him to save you. Make today the day of your salvation.